the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Money, whether we like it or not, is such an important and necessary part of our lives. And we need to know that we can trust the Lord to provide for us materially, just as we can trust Him to deal as He said He would with unbelievers, those who may persecute us. So what we find in these verses before us is David telling us how the Lord blesses his people materially. The verses we find before us are from Psalm 37, specifically beginning with verse 21. You know, success means different things to different people, and the world's version of success can be very alluring, for a while at least, until Jesus returns and puts things in order. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Fret not because of evildoers. Easier said than done, isn't it sometimes? But that's our subject as Pastor Steve leads us in this series of lessons about Psalm 37. This is a very encouraging chapter if we read it all the way through. But the first part is kind of grim, isn't it? It tends to focus largely on the activities of evil people as they abuse and even attack the righteous. King David reminds us that the Lord is in charge, and we should be patient as we remember that this will be a short trial for us and will become an eternal punishment for the wicked. And that's good to remember. Now we're moving into the part of the psalm where David begins to draw our attention more intently on the eternal rewards of humility. We've been studying about what God will do to his enemies. Now here's Pastor Steve to share with us what God will do for his followers. In his commentary on the Psalms, Bible teacher Steve Lawson quotes former President Woodrow Wilson in a profoundly wise statement that the president made concerning failure and success. President Wilson said this, he said, I had rather temporarily fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than temporarily succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. Now, without realizing it, these words by Woodrow Wilson actually spell out the gist of David's message in Psalm 37. I'd like you to open to Psalm 37. We've been going through this, as you know, and we have noted for the past few weeks while studying this psalm that the problem that David was addressing in his day, in this psalm, is that the believers of his day were quite upset because of the material success and the wealth of many wicked people in Israel. They didn't think it was supposed to be that way. They were upset because evildoers, as verse 1 tells us, were prospering. And the word that David so often uses in this psalm to describe the attitude of these believers is that they were fretting which as we've already seen, it means that they were angry, they were irritated, they were upset over the prosperity of those that they referred to, and David refers to them as evildoers and wicked people. And at the same time, they were envious 
of these people. They wanted what they had. It was aggravated by the fact that they were going through difficult times financially. And so they looked at the, the prosperity of the wicked and they wondered what was going on and they, and they were envious and jealous. And in addition to being angry and jealous, they were also worried for their very lives because these evildoers were presently persecuting them, threatening to murder them. Verse 12 tells us this, the wicked plots against the righteous, gnashes at him with his teeth. And we studied more about this last session. They were trying to, to kill them. It was persecution. So understanding that this was the, the problem facing the believers in Israel, David is their king and leader and shepherd, sets out in Psalm 37 to help these people see the bigger picture about these evildoers. And the bigger picture is that their initial success isn't the whole story nor is it the final chapter of the story. It's just something taking place at that moment. But he tells them it won't always be this way. The situation will change in the future. See, David wants the believers to take what one Bible teacher calls the long look. The long look is the look into the future so that they can see the complete truth about these evildoers and... As I've said, the complete truth is that although the wicked may be enjoying some success right now, their cause will ultimately fail because God won't let them continue to prosper indefinitely. Now, that's the message that David has been stressing in the first two sections of Psalm 37. So from verses 1 through 20, which we've already covered, he's been teaching that the way to cease from fretting and worrying about these evildoers is by expanding our viewpoint by looking down the road, seeing that the future for these people is so bleak, it's so dismal because their success is so very brief, it's fleeting, it's momentary, it's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. He says that in verse 2, for they will wither quickly like the grass, fade like the green herb. He says in verse 20, But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastors. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Now, in addition, David has also stressed in these verses that the way to overcome this anger and this envious, jealous, covetous spirit towards these ungodly rich people is by concentrating on our own relationship with the Lord. That is to say, forget about others. Concentrate, focus on your own personal walk with the Lord. And so at the beginning of this psalm, he's given a number of commands to us in terms of our relationship with the Lord. He's told us to trust in him, to obey him, to delight ourselves in him, to commit our way to him, to to rest in him. Look to the Lord to be the one who satisfies you and stop looking at other people and their circumstances. Get your eyes off of them and onto the Lord himself. And now last session, in studying verses 12 through 20, we learn from David that if we take this long look, we'll see that no matter how hard these evildoers plan to carry out their evil schemes of persecution, in the end, God is going to frustrate their plans so that they will ultimately fail. That's why we saw from verse 12 that while the wicked may plot now against the righteous, verse 12 says God laughs at them. God laughs at them because of the sheer foolishness, the absurdity of thinking that they can continue their evil forever without any consequences. In addition, David taught us 
that while the wicked may have already drawn their, their sword, taken it out of the sheaths, preparing to use it against some poor believer, God will eventually use their own evil devices against them. He tells us that in verses 14 and 15. But remember we said last week, it's like a boomerang. It's going to come back and hit them. He also taught that while the wicked may have an abundance of things right now, God will eventually cause them to lose it all. And finally, we heard David teach that while the wicked may seem to have everything going for them right now, the good life, as we would call it, at some point, God will intervene and he will take away their lives so that someday they will just vanish, never to be heard from again. What they have said, what they have done, what they have accomplished in this lifetime will mean nothing. So up to this point, David has taught us that the way to get over our frettings to take the long look, trust the Lord, and believe the truth that all the evil planned by evildoers will end up being futile and unsuccessful. Now, as we continue our study of Psalm 37, we have arrived at a new section of the psalm, the third section, in which David is still telling us how to keep from fretting over evildoers, but What he does is he shifts now his emphasis from telling us about what God is going to do to these people negatively to telling us what he is going to do for us believers positively. Now listen closely. It's important to understand that the problem with the believers in David's day wasn't simply that so many evildoers were prospering, but as I said, it was compounded by the fact that by comparison, these folks were so poor. And that seems so contradictory to the covenant that God had made with Israel that he would materially bless those who obeyed him and he would refrain from blessing those who disobeyed him. So what David does in these verses is assure these true believers a wonderful truth. The Lord has not forgotten you. The Lord has not forgotten them, that God is attentive to their needs and he'll He'll meet every one of their financial and material needs. Now, this is not the health and wealth gospel. This is not to say they'll be wealthy. This is to say that God is faithful to meet the needs of his people. That's certainly a critical truth for us to know because money, whether we like it or not, is such an important and necessary part of our lives. And we need to know that we can trust the Lord to provide for us materially just as we can trust him to deal as he said he would with unbelievers, those who may persecute us. So what we find in these verses before us is David telling us how the Lord blesses his people materially. He reveals to us three specific ways that God blesses us when it comes to material things. And we trust, and I trust, that this will be an encouragement for all of us. First way being this, that he blesses us, note this, with more than we need. He blesses us with more than we need. We break in at verse 21. David says, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Now, this is an interesting statement by David because the first thing he does in this verse is actually talk about the the wicked. And he tells us that the wicked borrows and he doesn't pay it back. Now, what makes this so interesting is that David doesn't tell us why the wicked doesn't pay back the money or the material things that he's, he's borrowed. Is it because they are so evil, so greedy, so selfish that they just refuse to pay back their debts, even if they have the money? Is that what David means? In other words, do the wicked not repay because this is just part of their wicked character? 
They think they can get away with this. Well, it is possible that that's what David means because this certainly fits the character of those who are wicked. And there are some very competent and very good Bible teachers who interpret David's words this way. However, it seems more plausible, to me at least, that what David is saying here is that the wicked borrow and don't repay because God will eventually deal with them and take away their money so that they have no money to repay. See, what David stresses throughout this psalm is not so much the character of the wicked. He mentions it, but that's not, that's not what he stresses. What he stresses in this psalm is that the prosperity of the wicked is only temporary. It's fleeting. That seems to be what he's saying here. And if that's the case, then what David is telling us about the wicked is that he borrows money and doesn't pay it back because he just can't pay it back, because he doesn't have any money left to pay it back. In other words, God has dealt in judgment with this evil man. He has taken away his wealth So that now he is in poverty himself, and he doesn't have the wherewithal to repay anything. Now, it seems to me that this is what David is saying, and it just fits not only the the context of the whole psalm, the emphasis, but it seems to me that it fits the natural flow of this verse, because after telling us that a wicked man doesn't repay money that he has borrowed, David immediately tells us how different the righteous are, and he means by righteous believers, True believers, those who have been converted. He tells us how different believers are when it comes to money. Notice, as he continues, he says, but the righteous is gracious and he gives. Now, in contrast to the wicked who won't pay back money that they've borrowed, David says that the righteous, as I said, meaning a true believer, is gracious and far from withholding money from anyone, this man gives his money to others. And the reason he gives his money away, note this, is because unlike the wicked man who has no more money to pay back, God has blessed the godly man with more money than he needs to take care of himself and his family, and so he generously thinks of others and gives to them. That's why David follows up this statement in the very next verse about God blessing this man in relation to his land, meaning his farming land. Much of the blessings that God gave to the Jewish people related to the land, and and he cuts off the wicked from the land, meaning the land of Israel. Notice verse 23, for those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. God has promised that these Jewish believers, though struggling to make it now, will eventually be blessed by fruitfulness productivity in their land, while the wicked, he says, though prosperous now, will eventually be removed from the land and not enjoy any productivity, fruitfulness. Now, going back to verse 21, this statement about the righteous being gracious and giving, generous, folks, this is a profound statement by David. It's one that I think needs to be thought through and looked at from a number of angles. And the first angle being this, that we need to consider that the primary truth that David is teaching here is that God is gracious to bless believers with enough materially so that they can give some of it away to others. This is a far cry from the believers in David's day, what they were thinking. They were envious of the wicked, envious for their wealth, 
while they were struggling financially. See, what David is telling them is that while the wicked may be prospering right now, their prosperity will not continue forever because God is going to someday intervene. He's going to judge them by making sure that their money like them will vanish so that eventually they'll be hurting financially to the point where they won't be able to pay back their debts. And by the same token, while God is doing that to the wicked, he's going to also materially bless the righteous who, although they may be experiencing hard times right now, their hard times won't last forever because eventually God will meet their financial needs and bless them to the point that they'll have enough to share with others. Now, it seems to me that this is the primary point that David is making. And it is a significant point because he is telling us that God will not only meet our needs, but that he will be so gracious, so generous in meeting our needs that he will give us sufficient funds so that we can be gracious and generous with others to help meet their needs. So I want us to consider further this truth, that God does meet our needs and that he meets them generously. Once again, we're not talking about luxuries, although the Lord certainly can choose to give some of us luxuries. In fact, everybody in America, compared to the rest of the world, we live with luxuries. But this is not the health and wealth gospel. This is just God telling us he's faithful to meet our needs. Perhaps the best place to look at this truth about God's generosity to believers is in the New Testament. I'd like you to look at Philippians chapter 4, because this principle is taught throughout Scripture, and it is especially taught here, surprisingly taught here, in Philippians chapter 4, and you'll see why in a moment. In Philippians chapter 4, which I have quoted for several weeks, Paul makes this astounding promise as the Holy Spirit guides him. He says, and my God, verse 19, will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, in this statement, the apostle assures these believers at the church of Philippi that God will supply all of their needs and that they don't need to worry about their needs being met. Why? Because God, he says, is infinitely wealthy, and therefore he will share some of that wealth with them. He owns everything. Now, initially, this looks to be a universal promise made for all believers in Christ, but it's not. It's not. That's what may surprise you. Because if you look closely at the context, you'll realize that Paul has been commending this church, the people of this church, for being very loving, very thoughtful, very generous towards him. Notice, let's go back to verse 10. Now remember, when Paul wrote this, he's in jail. They're not sure exactly where he's at. They found him, and now we look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity, meaning you didn't know where I was. How could you help me? But they found out. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, let me stop here and explain. When they found out where Paul was as a prisoner in Rome, they sent someone to meet his needs, monetarily, supplies, perhaps some uh, some books, maybe uh, health issues, he needed perhaps some medicine, things like that, whatever it was, 
That's what they did. So Paul says, not, not that I speak from want. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I've learned this. This is not a natural thing for any of us. Paul said, I learned the lesson of contentment. He writes, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he says this very famous verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And let me stop here. This is not saying that if you're a mediocre athlete, you can expect to be a great athlete because Paul said you can do everything. No, this is simply Paul saying, I've learned that in every situation, God strengthens me. When I'm poor, he strengthens me. When I have a lot, he strengthens me. When I'm going through difficult times, he strengthens me. And I can do it all. I have his grace to do everything necessary in all circumstances. He says in verse 14, having said that he is content, he is happy, he has enough, he says, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. It's a good thing. Even though I'm content, even though I don't need what you sent me because I've learned to be content, It's a good thing. So even though Paul says he's content with what he has, he doesn't actually need what they gave him. He's content, but they've done the right thing. Let's let's read on. Verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, that's where the church at Philippi was. It was in a region known as Macedonia. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now, can you imagine that? No church was thoughtful enough to say, you know, I'll bet this man has some needs. He's given us the gospel. Let's give him something. He said, only you, only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. This was a church that was thoughtful and generous and sensitive to Paul. Now he says, he doesn't want to be misunderstood, verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. He said, I'm not not ministering to get anything from you. He said, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I seek your reward and glory for being so generous. But I have received everything, verse 18, everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, that's the man they sent him, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, it's well-pleasing to the Lord, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying? He says that the Philippians were the only church that was thoughtful and generous with him so as to supply him with money and provisions. Now, Keep in mind what he's saying. He's saying to this thoughtful, generous, sensitive, gracious church that those who were so generous to supply his needs can count on God being generous to them to supply all of their needs. That is to say, God's promise of generosity is not a blanket promise that covers every Christian, but it's a promise only for those Christians who are generous with others. Now, God will meet our needs, but generosity of God is dependent on us being generous with others. How much do we need? How much is enough? I heard one preacher give what I still think is the best answer to that question. He said, we have enough when we are able to do what God wants us to do. 
We may need lots of money to do His will, or we may need very little. But whatever we need, He will supply. At the beginning of this series of studies on Psalm 37, Pastor Steve quoted something Jesus said near the start of His Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Concerning our physical needs, Jesus said later in that sermon, For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, follow hard after Jesus, don't worry about the brief successes of wicked people, and God will provide all we need in order to follow his will. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, go to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. If you missed any part of today's broadcast, or maybe you'd like to go back and catch up on an earlier one, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I read an article today that said most Americans give to charity except those with under $25,000 annual income. In that case, it's a minority. However, in that lowest income bracket, a substantial number give sacrificially, much like the widow giving the pittance that was all she had in Mark 12. That got the attention of our Lord, and he pointed it out to his disciples, and to us, by the way. An open hand works both ways. Pastor Steve will have more on our next Verse by Verse. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.